There's no doubt that small businesses are the foundation of our communities. That's why MasterCard has invested in tools to support small business owners as they grow their business. With MasterCard tools and resources, you can increase sales by shortening checkout time, broadening your customer base, and tapping into new opportunities to increase customer loyalty. So get started. Discover all the ways MasterCard can help guide, grow, and protect your business at mastercard.ca forward slash small business. Welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. February is Black History Month, and we believe it's important to honor, celebrate, and pass the mic to black entrepreneurs and the support organizations that help empower them. Join us as we share the contributions and accomplishments of black entrepreneurs and learn about their lived experience as founders across Canada. Stay tuned all month and look for a recap of these stories and a complete list of resources at the end of February on the Startup Canada blog. Entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast, welcome to the Startup Canada podcast. On the show today, we're thrilled to have agent of change Janelle Hines, founder of Helping Hands. Janelle is an award-winning entrepreneur, public speaker, facilitator, and a consultant in both the fields of strategy and diversity, equity, and inclusion. Before her recent maternity leave, Janelle was senior manager of strategic partners at Opportunities for All Youth, which creates better futures by helping youth who face barriers find meaningful jobs that build skills and experience. Janelle is also the founder of Helping Hands, a nonprofit that aims to help young people build their skills and careers through volunteer entrepreneurship, and early career development. As a public speaker and consultant, Janelle is an advocate for social innovation and diversity, equity, and inclusion in business. Janelle serves on the board of directors for the Futurepreneur Program and also sits on the McMaster Alumni Association board. Recently, Janelle was chosen as the only Canadian on Forbes' top 30 under 30 list for her achievements in the education sector. Janelle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. And we're excited to have you just to get this party started right and make sure that entrepreneurs know that we have their best interests at heart in the discussion to come. What are the top pieces of advice that you hope that entrepreneurs will take away from our conversation today? It sounds really bad to say it, and it's going to sound super cliche, but I think it is really making sure that you are solving a problem. I will say, you know, the, you know, organization I launched was based off of noticing my personal experiences and some of the experiences of my peers, but I made sure I spent a bunch of time, you know, going around talking to other people to make sure I was actually solving a problem and not just a problem that I thought existed. So tell us about Helping Hands and uh, and and how you got into, you know, social action and at a fairly early age. So I think based on my advice, you know, making sure you solve a problem, Helping Hands, you know, very much was that. Um, in Ontario, students have to do 40 hours of community service, aka volunteering, in order to graduate and get their diploma. Um, you know, I ran into some problems trying to find meaningful volunteer experiences. A lot of people in my high school were uh, finding trouble, finding meaningful volunteer experiences. So while I was in high school, I started an initiative that would help you know, my peers figure out where to volunteer. Um, and kind of as I, you know, graduated and went off to university, I realized it was a way larger problem because I heard students from whether they were living in Toronto or from a small city um, or town that they were having ex uh, similar experiences. And the second part that I realized 
um, you know, was a problem all of a sudden was that a lot of young people didn't know how to translate the skills that they were obtaining, whether it was from volunteering or, you know, leadership in a student club into getting a job or figuring out what career they wanted. And I was like, you know what, these are maybe feel like two separate problems, but I felt like had one solution. Um, so at Helping Hands, we help young people uh, find meaningful volunteer opportunities that are what we call skills and or career based. So they can either say, here's a skill that I really like to improve on. So my communication, maybe they're interested in art and we match them to, you know, a nonprofit museum where they are tour guides. So they get to improve their communication skills or, you know, they might say, you know, I'm interested in going into healthcare, and we try to show them, you know, you can volunteer for public health and get a different perspective on what healthcare looks like. And is this basically an app or is it as a business evolving into something more than that? So it has evolved way larger than that. We did start off as an app, but realize a lot of, you know, young people, especially, um, you know, at the height of when I started this organization, um, it was at the height of the Syrian refugee crisis. And, you know, they needed a lot of one-to-one support and someone to really, you know, sit down and explain things to them. Um, So we actually have a full staff uh, with social workers that will sit down with a young person um, and kind of see what their needs are and talk to them one-on-one. Very cool. Um, and what's can you sort of tell me the state of Helping Hands today? Is it uh, a, a business? Is it a nonprofit? Is it a growing concern? Is it just still Ontario focused or is it going wider than that? We are still Ontario focused uh, for now. Uh, we are what I would call a social enterprise with a nonprofit arm. Um, so we have right now five full time staff plus currently the semester nine um, interns, because uh, a big part of us is making sure that, you know, we're also hiring some young people and giving them uh, their first job experience. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of, I got to say, a weird middle ground of, you know, being both on the business side and the nonprofit side. So how is Helping Hands uh, informed your journey as an entrepreneur? Because you've been doing a whole bunch of other things as well, but I think always sort of with the same sort of themes. Oh, man, that's a good question. I think, you know, a big part of when I even created Helping Hands at the time, and, you know, I didn't know that terminology was thinking about, you know, equity, diversity, and inclusion, um, and just recognizing that, you know, some young people were, uh, you know, finding their volunteer positions no problem because they had, you know, family members that could teach them and show them, you know, with their personal network where to go. Um, but when I started Helping Hands, a big focus of mine ended up kind of being newcomer um, and low, what I call low socioeconomic youth. Um, so young people that really didn't have family that could guide them. Um, and I realized, you know, continuously throughout my career, I've kind of really gravitated towards helping organizations, whether it was sitting on a board or as a consultant or facilitator, look at, you know, who is their customer base um, or internal employees and how could they make sure that, you know, they are getting to access, you know, services um, on a, you know, equity basis. Right. So what is the theme? Is it sort of youth empowerment with a focus on sort of people who might otherwise feel a little bit marginalized? I would say kind of both. Like I've had a lot of you know, if you include youth as a marginalized group, then I think saying just helping marginalized uh, people in general has been a focus. So a lot of, you know, my earlier work within the entrepreneurial space um, was actually more helping women 
um, get into entrepreneurship. So, you know, that's how I even, you know, a couple of years ago was, you know, involved with Startup Canada. Um, so I think that has kind of been the focus. Um, so I've done everything from helping, you know, black youth to helping women to even looking at helping Indigenous entrepreneurs. Um, and, you know, I would say that just gives me, it gives me so much energy and excitement when I know that I'm able to influence whether it's a policy change um, at the organization or even, you know, I started getting involved in politics in some senses um, to see about what change could come about that would help, um, you know, what the government refers to as minority entrepreneurs. Right. And what are your sort of longer term goals as an entrepreneur or as a change agent? It sounds really weird, but I think one of my focuses is I would love to work myself out of a job. I would love that I can say I changed policy or, you know, the system has changed so much that there is no need for my services anymore. And that's what I'm kind of focused on. So, yes, Helping Hands could, you know, every year, you know, as much as we can help young people. But a big focus of mine has been that policy change because that can then help, you know, youth across the province and maybe, you know, then given that the Ministry of Education is at a provincial level, hopefully we can start then influence in other provinces. Right. So how, do poli- how does policy get changed? Can you do that as an entrepreneur or do you need a different platform for that? No, I think 100% as an entrepreneur, you have that ability. You know, I've had... Um, you know, I would say the privilege of getting to talk to, you know, the Minister of Innovation, um, Science and Economic Development, as well as Small Business and Tourism. They are very interested in hearing from entrepreneurs about what changes can happen. And, you know, if you don't want to directly go and talk to them, there are all these other organizations you can either volunteer for, like Startup Canada, um, where you can um, kind of be a, a part of that influence of the change of what needs to be. And it's everything from even, you know, looking at, you know, recently CERB or CWS and making, you know, your recommendations on how that could be improved. So you say that politicians are willing to, 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 to hear from entrepreneurs, but are they really willing to listen? And do you see signs that they're actually willing to change? They are. So, you know, if you look at, for example, the Women Entrepreneurship Program or the Black Entrepreneurship Program at the federal level, um, it was them listening um, and taking the time to listen to entrepreneurs across, you know, the country about what was needed and designing something that would try to, you know, help alleviate some of those issues that they saw. Very cool. I'm glad I'm, I'm glad to hear that. I've been on a lot of uh, panels with and, and, and in, in rooms with politicians and they listen and they nod. In my experience, they, 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 they don't change. They don't make much change happen. So I'm glad to hear that. The, 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 that's... I'll say it, sometimes it is slow. Yeah. It definitely is slow sometimes. Uh, but I, you know, I think because I've been in this industry for a couple of years now, I have definitely seen yeah, the changes. That's, that's fantastic. If you could wave your magic wand... What would what policy changes, whether in Ontario or at the federal level, would 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 you like to see happen now to uh, to increase uh, the effectiveness of entrepreneurship programs and related services from government, to increase uh, the the success of uh, diversity and inclusion in the workplace? What changes would you like to see? That's a great question. The first thing, you know, if I think about waving my magic wand would be looking 
at how you know governments or other organizations, especially large corporations, um, could look at how they source. So you know where are they going for for their RFPs or their requests for proposals when it comes to hiring contractors. You know can they start looking at some of those smaller minority-owned businesses, um, I think is a huge influence. And I think the second thing is when they're sometimes designing these programs that are helping entrepreneurs, I find a lot of them are either, you know, looking at loan only or, you know, mentorship only or funding only. So kind of looking at how can you guys create a program that kind of helps with all? Because I think, you know, all entrepreneurs could really do with that mentor that can help them figure out what they don't know. Um, and the second part is obviously getting that funding is always helpful um, for any organization. Janelle, I want to go back to Helping Hands. Uh, it was uh, an app that's turned into a sustainable business. And I'm just wondering if you can tell us about the journey of building uh, that app, building that company and the hurdles that you ran into. For sure. I feel like the amount of hurdles entrepreneurs go through feels like we could probably win some Olympic medals. Um, you know, personally, some of the hurdles that we've really faced is trying to fit in that space of social entrepreneurship. Um, so, you know, when I started, I'd be going to these events and kind of talking about, you know, yes, we're trying to create an app and a technology platform. And I would mention, you know, what the goals were. And I think at that time, a lot of people just didn't really understand that, yes, you can have a business, but also have a great social impact. Um, you know, the world has changed and I think a lot of people, you know, under, understand social entrepreneurship a little bit better now. But what hasn't caught up is that we do have a nonprofit arm where we do like a lot of one to one support. And unfortunately, it's been kind of difficult sometimes um, to get funders who are very traditional on understanding, you know, we fund a workshop to understand we're funding something that has a technology background to it. Um, so that's kind of been one of our biggest barriers where a lot of times I'm having to take the trouble of educating um, potential funders, and that's not a great place to be in. What kind of funders are we talking about? Is it these governments or these grant programs? Yeah, so primarily government and foundations, um, which, you know, are just unfortunately sometimes just kind of, I think, behind innovation, even within the social, you know, realm, there's you know, a lot of young youth-led work where, you know, young people are leading those initiatives. But unfortunately, due to make sure, you know, when we talk again, my favorite thing of saying policy um, is saying that a lot of the a lot of these barriers, you know, people aren't figuring out solutions for, or rather there are solutions and they're not just willing to take it. So one example I'll give is that, you know, um, in order to get, you know, a charitable donation, um, like the receipt when you, you know, give money and same thing with government is they like to give to a lot of times charities uh, versus nonprofits. And it's a very small distinction, um, you know, I think for, for an end user, but a huge distinction when it comes to trying to fundraise. Interesting. Are you seeing any change in that? Or should that be on the wish list too? That I guess that is also on, on my wish list. Um, and actually, a lot of my policy work that I'm trying to advocate for now is actually looking at how can the CRA uh, change those rules to allow grassroots groups or unincorporated groups to get access to funding. Um, so, you know, for that, I'm looking at speaking to sometimes the family foundations or organizations that oversee them. Um, so that actually has been a lot of my work for the past couple of months. Okay, that's really interesting. So do you think that is it some obscure part of the tax code that's preventing these 
entrepreneurial nonprofits from tapping into these sources? A hundred percent. Like I've had to start learning, you know, parts of the tax code that I never thought I would spend time reviewing and learning what the definition of a qualified donee is. Um, but I kind of take any opportunity where I am talking to a potential funder, even if it's not, I would say a funder that's maybe interested in helping hands, maybe, you know, for example, they fund health organizations, they fund sports organizations. And I'm like, please, let me tell you about this problem. And how could you possibly help those that you would be funding? Right. So your background, I should mention, according to LinkedIn, is electrical and biomedical engineering. So that didn't include a lot of tax uh, policy. Not at all. And, uh, you know, one of the things if I think about an entrepreneur, if I had to also give the advice that, you know, at the beginning, the other one would be, you know, you realize when you start a business, there's so much you don't know. And unfortunately, you don't know what you don't know. Um, and, you know, my advice is always like sometimes having to take that step back and being like, okay, what do what do I need to figure out? And whether it's do I need to learn this thing or can I, you know, buy a tool or a resource to hire out a specific skill set? Exactly. Yeah. Um, who are the people who understand this particular part of the tax code? I mean, surely the the, the difficulty is in finding the people who understand it because they can probably get the ear of Ottawa better than uh, than you can. It's things that there's lawyers who specialize in like charities and charitable laws, um, but there are some amazing, you know, family foundations that I have seen that are trying to be innovative and encourage others. Um, so I'm kind of interested because I've only really seen that change in the past couple months. Um, so I'm kind of really interested to see over this next year. Um, the government recently did do some reviews on the uh, charitable law. Um, unfortunately, they didn't tackle this problem. So I'm hoping in the next review that they are able to look into this problem. Absolutely. You were a, a, a participant in the Next 36 about six years ago, which is an accelerator program for, you know, supposedly the best and brightest uh, youth to get them to think about becoming high impact entrepreneurs and, and to get them to think bigger than Canadians normally do. Just wondering how that affected your development as, as an entrepreneur and how it helped you in setting up Helping Hands. Oh man, I loved, absolutely loved my time during X36. Um, you know, when I say that whole, you don't know what you don't know example, um, you know, I remember sitting down and they had a lawyers come in to speak to us and even teach us, you know, what's the difference between um, an employee and a contractor. And I think, you know, when you're starting a business, that's not even something that you're worried about. And then you realize, oh, no, I need to be worried about this. I need to make sure that, you know, you understand that distinction because I've now heard people be like, I'm hiring a contractor and then they'll describe the position. And I'm like, that's an employee. <laughs> like, that's not a, that's not a contractor. You have way too much control over their day to day that, you know, they can go to court. Um, so for me, a lot of the advice, even on cap tables, um, while if sometimes they might not personally help in helping hands, but I, um, I had mentioned that I, you know, have done some consultancy work, both from a strategic standpoint and helping with equity, diversity and inclusion. Um, and definitely a lot of the advice that I learned during my time at X36, I've turned around now helped other entrepreneurs um, try to avoid some of these same mistakes. That's very cool. But but 
a part of it, <clears throat> excuse me, was the mindset that they tried to inculcate, which is that uh, you can do so much more than most of us are brought up to think we can. And I'm hearing you calmly say, well, I'm trying to change Ottawa's mind on this, and I think we've got a good chance of getting this through. Um, were you always like this or did the next 30 seconds? You know, that's, you're bringing up, I think, they very much they had a mindset of, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, Canadians, we tend to sometimes think small uh, versus, you know, Americans are very much large thinkers and yes of course I can change this um, and that was a big mindset they pushed on and I realized yes that is me now like I'm always just like yeah I could do this a small change but no I wanted this larger change um, I definitely think that Next36 helped push that mindset on me of being like you know what I don't have to do small changes I can go for those large huge changes and impact and not saying just it has to be a social enterprise even if you know you're creating an organization in shipping and logistics you can create a large change Right. I want to talk about uh, uh, shift a little bit and just talk about business in general. And one of the, the 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 things that you're involved with is the idea that you know youth is a market worth serving. And I think there's a lot of people who think, well, young people by definition they don't have much money, and and especially if they're really young and they're living at home, then that that then um, you know there's only a few things that they're willing to 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 buy. And I think you think this is approach. This approach is the wrong one. So tell me a little bit what you think the potential of the youth market is. I mean, I think you know. So I'm a millennial myself, but you know, I all my work is kind of mainly mainly with Gen Zers, and you know, I've exactly seen that people be like, I'm not bother marketing to them because they don't have funding. What I would say is, for example, Taylor Swift's album was the number one bestseller last year. When you think of who is, they call her their Swifties, so her fans, it's primarily young women or young girls and teenagers. And I think it's all about making sure how do you target to, how do you target that market? And, you know, making sure that, yes, if you're doing something that probably maybe parents might not like, yes, you might not have that market um, to be able to, you know, grab onto that. But if you are able to say, okay, how could we reach high school students, especially knowing that they will, you know, in a couple of years graduate and they will be the ones, you know, funding themselves. So how can you maybe, you know, grab onto them early? And I think there are amazing clothing brands, for example, that when I talk to young people, I've been like, oh, I've never ordered from XYZ. And they're like shocked at me. They're like, how? Like, all of them are ordering from this brand. So I kind of sometimes have looked into that, those brands and be like, okay, what are they doing to try to capture that market? You've also noticed that sometimes people trying to target the youth market, like don't do their homework. And I, I think you mentioned an example of an organization running a youth employment workshop during the middle of a school day. So what ingredients do you believe are instrumental to you know, meaningful youth programming and marketing? I feel like, you know, I'm gonna, I love that as a perfect example, and thanks for bringing that one up, is that, you know, we think about other markets. So if you're targeting, you know, you're a business-to-business -business organization, you make sure you think about, oh, you know, am I going to send an email on a Saturday? No, because, you know, people work Monday to Friday. Um, so I think it's the same thing if you are trying to target young people, is thinking, what are the barriers? What are the opportunities? You know, if you have to do your SWOT analysis, um, so your strength, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats, doing that on that, a young population just has you would treat any other market that you're trying to gain. Basically, you're an entrepreneur with some experience using technology to solve uh, a a big problem, even a global problem. I'm wondering what some of your learnings have been because technology is 
the, the, the lever that so many entrepreneurs are using today and so many social entrepreneurs? Sure. You know, I think one of the interesting things is that, you know, you might start solving off a problem that is local, um, but then you might realize, you know, is global or at least national or maybe, you know, affects, you know, a certain region. Um, one interesting thing I think, you know, if entrepreneurs are trying to think big is to look into the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Um, so they have different categories from, you know, things that affect people to things that affect the planet and, you know, economic growth. Um, and it's a great way to also then figure out how are other people maybe in your category solving different problems. So for us, um, you know, we kind of fall under the UN's uh, education goal. So sometimes I'll look into what are other organizations that are leveraging technology to help education or either like skill development. Um, what are they doing? So that's a, a recommendation I have for any entrepreneur listening. Is Do you see technology as... Um... Uh, having growing importance in terms of helping solve social or environmental or cultural problems? It hundred uh, percent, you know, I think it's very similar to now, you know, if someone is trying to get, you know, a, a job in an office, it's almost impossible to say, you know, you don't know how to use word or, you know, you don't know how to send an email. I think kind of leveraging technology um, is kind of a must and I you know, understand maybe some people are like, oh, but you're trying to have a social impact, you know, isn't technology getting in the way? I would say, if anything, technology has helped lower cost, um, you know, to be able to do work. So, for example, uh, we were actually a partially remote organization uh, before COVID um, started. And for me, that's really helped us lower our costs that we don't have to pay for rent for an office or even co-working space um, when my team, you know, four out of five days uh, got to work from home. Um, so I think a lot of times technology can help us actually lower the cost of doing business in the first place. Um, an interesting element of Helping Hands that I wanted to ask you about is the, the mental health resources that you created there for black and newcomer youth in particular. And, you know, the, it was curated by those same people. And I, I, I'm just curious about... Uh, the process that you went through to create those resources and anything you know about the impact that they've had. Yeah, so uh, that, you know, actually came out of, um, there's a day called Blackout Tuesday where everyone was um, turning their Instagram into these black squares um, after George Floyd's death. And I actually got more messages than I ever have from both young people, um, you know, and even adults that day just looking for support. And I was like, you know what, what can I do to solve this? Like, um, I know I've seen at least Americans coming out and saying, you know, here, try this helpline. And I wasn't finding a lot of Canadian resources. Uh, so we kind of decided that I reached out to some young people that were on my team and said, you know what, if you feel up to it, um, that you can stop kind of the other tasks that you're doing and let's work together and create a list of different resources for young people. Um, we used to talk about leveraging technology, we used Canva to put it together and, you know, posted it and started getting all these messages from teachers um, and other social workers being like, you know, can I have permission to share this, you know, with my clients? Um, and it's been really amazing. And, you know, now you've decided that this is kind of a permanent part of the organization and that we're going to continually update that resource. That's exciting. Have, have you heard, have you been able to get any feedback in terms of how it's helped people? 
Yeah, so we have had some stories about, you know, a young person who was, you know, feeling unsafe in their household and how that they were able to, um, some of those resources that we listed, um, you know, kind of helped them figure out where to go. Um, so it's been really amazing. That's why, you know, we've continued to try to say, like, you know what, this is important enough for us to update. Um, and I will say the thing that makes my day is that, you know, we never ask young people really to be like, please let us know, you know, um, you know, is this helpful or feedback? But we will just get emails randomly and basically every week of a young person saying thank you. And every time I get one, it just makes my day and I kind of want to cry. Absolutely. It's uh, wonderful to get feedback like that. Do you keep the, do you keep feedback like that? I know so many entrepreneurs who have a little notebook or something where they keep that good stuff. Yes, I actually started I started kind of taking screenshots of the emails. Um, and we kind of have a Google Doc that, you know, anyone on the team could kind of um, kind of keep up to date. And sometimes they do give us, you know, um, very useful advice when they get that feedback. Um, so we kind of share it internally with my team. Yeah, I think that's so important for the culture. And it's so important for motivation on those down days to remember, you know, the, 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 the people they've helped and the, 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 the good work that they've done. Do you have a name for that? I don't know if there's a name for it. For like sharing the feedback? Yeah, yeah. Um, usually we just call it our youth feed. I think the Google Doc might be entitled youth feedback. That's as good a name um, as any. Uh, uh, my head of youth programming, um, she's kind of responsible every week that she tries posting in the Slack general channel. Um, you know, what was, you know, her favorite email feedback of the week? Um, and it really has helped, I think, with motivation because, you know, sometimes it is really difficult when you're doing these work. And sometimes you, especially because we intersect with social work, and sometimes you are hearing these really tough stories. So sometimes hearing the positive feedback really does help with, you know, wanting to keep going. Yeah. And I don't know what your feeling is. My feeling is most organizations don't get enough feedback like that. You get lots of criticism. Negative feedback, though, can be helpful if they point you to what you're what you what you can do better but positive feedback just to say hey I had a great experience working with you um that can be gold to a lot of organizations and it is. and i think you brought up a good point is that the nonprofit world um especially a lot of times you know with grants that they may get um a lot of times have to do third-party evaluations um so we also do get feedback um, sometimes quarterly, sometimes yearly, depending on in the past couple of years, depending on what evaluation uh, methods we've decided to go with. Um, so we do do focus groups. So for us, we are getting continuous feedback, um, both you know positive and negative, um, through those evaluation metrics to help us, you know, continuously update our services. And it is something that you know I do encourage you know other organizations that you know don't have don't quote unquote have to do that. Um, to be able to try to get some feedback. And sometimes it, it could be a simple, you know, post on your social media saying, hey, we would love some feedback. And people that either really love or don't love your service will. And I find sometimes even the people who really do love your service will say like, you know, oh my God, I love this. But have you noticed you do X, Y, Z? And sometimes it's really small things, but those small things could be turning away other people. Yeah, yeah. So I, I encourage all entrepreneurs to get as much feedback as they can and to make sure they use it, to collect it, to share it um, as testimonials. But sometimes just a bit of reaffirmation is, is reaffirmation is a good thing. And also to leave feedback for other entrepreneurs because we live in a community and we need to help each other. 
Yeah, and that's, I think, a really big, a good point that, you know, sometimes, um, especially for people that I follow on Twitter, you know, a lot of times I'm using their services. Um, and sometimes even I'll, you know, download their app and go through the onboarding process and I'll just shoot them over a message, you know, on Twitter and be like, hey, just wanted to let you know, you know, maybe um, your options for signing up only had male and female. You might want to think about, you know, how do you be inclusive during your sign up process? Um, so I will admit I am a person that loves to give feedback. <laughs> okay, excellent. Excellent. I just wanted to touch on your, your work uh, in diversity and inclusion, because that's so important. Um, for the founders who are listening to us, do you have any recommended resources that can help them learn and implement more impactful diversity and inclusion initiatives? Oh, man. I Off the top of my head, I can't think of a single resource I would suggest. I would think a bunch of it is you kind of a lot of times learn through conversation. Um, so if you, you know, are a person that's on Twitter or even LinkedIn, I would recommend, you know, trying to look for um, some people that are, you know, might have equity, diversity, inclusion in their, you know, job titles, um, or maybe specifically work in your industry. Because I find, you know, they'll give you these nice, easy to read, you know, um, pieces of information. Because I, I do admit, with anything in business, you're sometimes you're so busy that you're like, when do I find the time to do this? Um, so kind of, I think social media is a nice way to just get these quick, actionable feedback. Um, and the other part is, you know, hiring a consultant that can come in and look and kind of give you that feedback. Okay. In a recent Futurepreneur article, you talked about racism and uh, in, in, the, in the context of diversity and inclusion and specific to black entrepreneurs. You said that it's not an underrepresentation problem. It's an underestimate underestimation problem and other than being hard to pronounce what did you mean by that <laughs> um so that's one of my favorite things to say now is it kind of dawned on me one day that you know there are you know so many you know quote black entrepreneurs there's so many female entrepreneurs but there's certain spaces that i would go into and i'd be you know the only one or one of few and people just say, well, they're underrepresented. There's not a lot of you guys out there. It's a pipeline issue. And I'm like, no, there are so many, you know, entrepreneurs, um, whether it's, you know, small business or it's tech. The problem is that a lot of times, you know, when they walk into the room that people don't assume or estimate that, you know, they can bring value. Um, so for me, you know, especially pre-COVID when it came to networking, you know, I found that sometimes I had to put in a lot of effort because I'd walk up to somebody and you can tell right away they just weren't interested in talking to me because they assume that, you know, I can't bring value to them. Um, I've had a lot of people, you know, think that I'm a secretary or I'm just someone's assistant. And then when I tell them, like, no, I founded my own organization. Sometimes at the same event, I'm a speaker and all of a sudden I can just see the surprise in their face. And to me, I was like, yeah, they're underestimating that, you know, because I'm this young black woman that... I am not accomplished yet. Um, so kind of I like changing the framing of minority entrepreneurs from saying they're underrepresented to they're underestimated. That's brilliant. I love it. That's uh, really good. I think I, I hope you'll find that, that I have found that, you know, um, entrepreneurship attracts a lot of people whose real concerns are talent and integrity and values and, 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 you know, not the color of people's skin or their gender or whatever. And I'm wondering what other entrepreneurs across Canada can do um, to, to be allies in 
all the work that has to be done to make sure that every group is recognized and valued in entrepreneurship? Yeah, so I think, you know, I would say there's kind of three groups from every you know, entrepreneur can kind of look at um, is, you know, what do your employees look like? What do your customers look like? And what do your business practices look like? Um, and from a business practices standpoint, um, it's kind of looking to your sourcing. So, for example, at Helping Hands last year, we were giving out some gift cards um, to young people. Um, and what we decided to do is that instead of giving, you know, gift cards to Tim Hortons or Starbucks, we actually sourced out other young entrepreneurs, um, including black, indigenous and newcomer entrepreneurs. Um, and we actually gave gift cards to their businesses. Um, so that was a great way for us to really feel like the impact that we're saying we're making on our day to day and our operations was flowing through to where our money fl was flowing. Um, so that's a great way on a business practice level. You can kind of look at being an ally, um, you know, looking internally at your company and being like, you know, is there ways that our hiring process are excluding um, certain people? So pre-COVID, I, I mentioned earlier that we were um, a partially remote organization and I've been able to hire people that, you know, um, had uh, were visually impaired, uh, people that uh, had recently come out of surgery, um, young mothers, so people that really would have struggled trying to find jobs elsewhere. And that for me was a great way for us to have an equity approach um, and being allies to people that, you know, would have struggled finding um, employment. So those are some suggestions that I have for other entrepreneurs. Fantastic. Janelle, I got to ask you this question. You've been concerned for others, concerned for the ecosystem, concerned for people facing barriers. How and, and all that has led to some tremendous activity and action and results. How have your how has your worldview changed now that you become a mom? Elijah's just a few months old now. Has, has his presence changed your outlook in any way? Um, right now, I will say it's uh, learning how to multitask. Actually, as I'm talking right now, I am rocking him. <laughs> um, so I know I think right now I've thought a lot about multitasking. One thing that um, I would say maybe has been a mind shift is that. I am not taking a lot of breaks like I'm, you know, working with a newborn. Um, so it's also made me really realize sometimes with, you know, my um, employees that sometimes they don't always want to take breaks. So sometimes what do I have to do to try to like force them to take a break um, or at least let's encourage a break. So, for example, um, we don't we offer flexible what I call flexible holidays. Um, so for people that celebrate, you know, other um Religious ceremonies, you can take time off during Diwali, you can take time off during Hanukkah instead of, you know, always taking the, you know, Canadian mandatory um, holidays. Um, so I think that's one shift that I really started thinking about um, when I was pregnant. Is like, oh, no, I need to, like, make sure other people are taking their time off. But um, in terms of doing something for society, it was always for society and for future generations, but now is it also for this one, one little soul in your hands? It, it would, I would say, yeah. You know, you said it. I definitely, you know, I'm hoping that the world that you know he gets to grow up into, um, he doesn't have to face any of the barriers um, that myself or you know his father had to face. Um, so I have thought about different ways, especially sometimes the policy work that I'm doing, um, looking at those changes. So for me, a lot of helping woman entrepreneurs now as a mother really understanding when I hear mothers um, complain about certain things, really hoping that companies really do allow more flexible time 
um, is going to be, I think, a bigger part of my consultancy. That's amazing. That's great. Janelle Hines, thank you for telling us today about the work you've been doing as an entrepreneur and as a change maker and in support of entrepreneurship and, and, and equity. Um, it's, it's, you're doing great work and we just look forward to you getting better and better at it as we go along. So final question for you, what's the most actionable piece of advice that you could offer our entrepreneurs today that they could take from this conversation and implement in their businesses immediately? Um, I think it's taking the time to listen to your customers, um, see what, you know, their complaints are, see what their worries are and figure out, you know, how could you try to solve those and not don't just say, well, the system exists like this, so therefore I'm not going to make any changes. Um, so, you know, given that example of the flexible holidays, um, you know, both with your internal employees looking at, you know what, what can I do to make sure that people can come and be their best and feel included? Fantastic. Janelle, you're busier than ever, so thank you so much for your time. And thank you to Elijah for making this interview possible. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Startup Canada podcast. This show is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles, and it's made possible by the support of MasterCard and Scotiabank. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. Until next week, I'm your host, Rick Spence.